This is Juliana McIntosh. And I'm Brad Sutton. And, and this, this is, is The Art, Art of, of Drinking. Drinking. With Join Jules. And your favorite uncle. This is the best home bartending podcast. Where you learn how to make two drinks. A classic. And a twist. Plus a little backstory on the cocktail. So you have an interesting story to tell when you serve your guests. Your home crafted masterpiece. Hey everyone, this is Uncle Brad. Forgive the intrusion, but I wanted to call out a few things about today's episode because it was a bit of an experiment and some things got overlooked in the excitement of being live on site at Dashfire. So there's three things that I want to be sure that you have in mind as you listen to today's episode. First thing is Dashfire is a distillery and a cocktail room. Their cocktail room is called Elusive and it is very much worth visiting. They are in a great location off of Central Avenue in Northeast Minneapolis and in walking distance to several other distilleries and breweries, as well as many, many, many great restaurants. The second thing is you're going to meet Jeff. Jeff is a great guy. Jeff is an important guy in the the cocktail industry here in the Twin Cities, but you don't know Jeff's last name. Now you do. It's Jeff Rogers. And Jeff Rogers actually is a hell of a guy and somebody I would recommend you go check out when you check out Dashfire's Elusive Cocktail Bar. The third thing is Spencer Young. You'll meet Spencer, but you don't get to know a lot about who he was or how he started. So I wanted to take a moment to tell you about Spencer. Spencer started with the business five years ago when they were just shipping bitters out of a small operation in Minnetonka. And the owners of Dashfire had a vision that they wanted to open a distillery and a cocktail room and go in a larger format. And Spence grew right there alongside of them. Spencer didn't come from the distilling industry. He learned it and he is the mad scientist there that's got a lab that is the envy of any evil doctor for sure. Although I believe he uses his powers for good. He makes wonderful spirits. Dashfire makes wonderful canned cocktails. They make great bitters and all of this comes together if you visit them in their cocktail room called Elusive. So my recommendation is next time you're in Minneapolis, go check them out. Thanks for listening and please enjoy today's show. All right, Brad, here we go. This is not an ordinary podcast episode. I mean, not all are ordinary. We never know where it's going to go. But this time, more specifically, this did go somewhere. Brad, you're not in the studio. And for those of you listening, you have to make sure that you check our Instagram because Brad... Where are you and what in the world are we doing? Yeah, so I'm at a place called Dashfire, and it's a distillery in Minneapolis. And so if you ever have the chance to come to Minneapolis and you want to check out some really cool places, this is actually a really cool part of the city because there's a lot of distilleries around in the area. So Old Thorpe Building, 1620 Central, this is like right next to some other really cool distilleries, lots of great places to eat around here. I fell into this place I was talking to this woman. She's like, hey, my brother is a distiller over at Dashfire. He made this cocktail, which was an Irish old-fashioned. So, like, she gave it to me. I'm like, okay, well, canned cocktails are tough. And I'm like, I kind of feel like I recognize the the can a little bit. So I have the cocktail. And I was like, holy crap, that's really good. Mm -hmm. So I go to the store. I buy a couple more of the canned cocktails as I'm going to a party, pass them out to folks. People are like, oh, my God, these are really great. Yeah. I finally end up calling this guy, his name's Spencer Young, and he is the son of a friend of mine. And he's like, oh yeah, now Spence is a distiller over at this really cool distillery, Dashfire. 
you should go check them out. And I called Spence and I, you know, this is at the time where I was also like interested in distilling myself. And I'm just asking him like, God, man, I get stuck on mashes. Like, tell me what you guys do. And I want to hear a little bit more about you. And the whole back time in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, we got this podcast we're coming up with, you know, that we're trying to get off the ground. Like, how can this possibly work? Well, I think it's what, a year later, right? That we started this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And so I come rolling in and I went through a tour out here and did this cool bitters class that was put on by uh, one of our guests as well. And I'm like, oh my God, this place is so cool. So Jules, like when you come into town, we're definitely going to have to do the bitters class here. Yes. Yeah, yes. it is like, I know we talked a little bit about Angostura bitters and that cherry old fashioned episode. Right. A whole different level. Well, and I was going to say, <laughs> this couldn't have come at a more perfect time. I just did a class a weekend or two ago and someone asked me at the question at the end and they're like, I'm having a really tough time with bitters. How do I use them? What do I use them? What are good ones to buy? Because now there's so many. So I think now that people are making cocktails at home, it's only natural the next step is bitters. And so I feel like, Brad, unfortunately, I'm still here. I'm in San Diego. I'm in my sweater, in my house. Brad, you're in this beautiful bar right now. And it sounds like we're going to take an even deeper dive into bitters. And Brad, so jealous. You're up close and personal. Yeah, it's cool. And last story before I hand the microphone over to Spence and then he'll hand it over to Jeff. So Jeff, who is here, he's been in the industry for a long time. He was at Southern Wine and Spirits. And I don't want to steal his thunder by him giving us our background. But I used to take these cocktail classes years ago at this bar here called Parlor. And he had a hand, right, in creating those cocktail classes. And that literally, those cocktail classes took me from a bartender who knew how to mix drinks from my college days to somebody who's like, okay, now I know how to use all the cool mm -hmm. stuff I have in my bar and like technique. And I think literally that was probably one of the things that set me on my path. And then gosh, Jules, by extension, your path. Wow, look at that Jeez. little domino Actually, effect. Jeff, now that I think about it, we all owe this to you <laughs> right now. Wow, I owe a lot <laughs> to you. <laughs> well, here, let me, all right, Spence, give us a little background on yourself, how you got involved with Dashfire, and then Jeff, I, you know, definitely want to hear about your background too. So, Spence, I'm going to hand the microphone to you. Sure. Thank you, Brad. So, yeah, I started with Dashfire about half a decade ago. I had been kind of traveling and doing some other things, discovered this company, mom and pop run, Bitters Business, that was about to release canned cocktails. We started as a company about 10 years ago doing solely bitters and self-distributed, small rent-a-kitchen. And now we're in this big historic building. It's been a really fun journey for sure. Yeah, awesome. Jeff? So my life is kind of behind the wood, if you will, leading into education after that. This is my 30th year in the business, which just wow. blew my mind the other day when I found that out. Pretty crazy. But I started at TGI Fridays, early 90s. Best bar training I could have ever asked for as a youthful person trying to get into it. it. really drove my passion to where I wanted it to go to, to see the things beyond just the typical cocktail sitting on a bar top, that there was more to it than that. So that led me down the path. I started competing internationally in flair bartender competitions and competed in those for about 10 and a half years and then switched to kind of cocktails and then teaching after that. So around the cities here, you mentioned Parlor for cocktail classes. I was the beverage director for them for six years. But the reality is, is that I got hooked on this business because people get brought together by food and beverage. And the amount of people that I've met throughout that journey, I would have never met if it wasn't for cocktails. That's awesome. 
You know what's interesting is, is a total tangent, but you bring up working at Fridays. I feel like all these bartenders who started out doing stuff in competition and yeah. you know, kind of moving on to things, I feel like there's like this strong Fridays like backbone. <laughs> About the mid-80s through the mid-90s, there was such a huge push. Like training for me was nine weeks before I ever got to work on my own. Definitely was intense for the time being, which I don't know if that could really fly, but I am who I am because of that. And they teach you how to be a bartender, not just a cocktail maker. And that's the biggest difference. And wasn't TGI Fridays, like, that was a place to be, wasn't it? Oh, it, it? was Cougar Central in <laughs> early 90s. I couldn't believe the amount of single folks that were in that bar just ready to mingle. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I can remember going to Fridays when I was like a kid and I'm like, I want to hang out here when I get older. (laughs) (laughs) It's all coming together. So these guys, I mean, they're super cool. I've hung out with them a couple of times. I came in here on Friday night just on a whim with my wife, Amy, and... It was tiki-themed. Yeah, it was a tiki theme. And I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. Like, we're just, we've been talking about tiki. I love tiki. And I had their drink. It was the take on the Trinidad Sour, right? Mm -hmm. It was was definitely similar because it really featured our in-house doppelganger to what Angostura is, that uh, aromatic. um, But Jeff was actually the brain behind that one um, because it it did use an, a full ounce and a half of those bitters <laughs> like you will get with a Trinidad Sour. But then he brought in, I mean, he can tell you more about the cocktail himself. It's uh, a very different, but also of the same ilk. Wait, this is exciting. We called it a Dango Unchained because internally we call our version or our ode to Angostura bitters Dango because it's Dash Fire Ango. But we obviously are trying to pay homage, not trying to take over. Angostura is such a staple in what we do. But the Trinidad Sour really made it popular from Giuseppe Gonzalez, which we'll be talking about a little bit later. But he really made it popular to be kind of a base spirit. And then with the Amari kind of coming forward, we really like to use that bitter as a base spirit and push forward and show people that it can be more than just flavoring. So then with that, we made a pina colada, if you will, but the dango was the base. Wow. God, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it's definitely, like, it was very bitter forward. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm yeah. so jealous. I got to get out to Minnesota. Oh. Yeah, quit screwing around. I get know it. What are you doing? I know it. You guys got some good spots out there. We've been flyover country for 35 years and will continue to be slowly but surely. I had, I had a boss once that said, worked for this consulting company out in New York City. And I was talking like, ah, oh, from Minneapolis. And he was doing this like symbol for flyover. Like, we fly over that. And I'm like, yeah, no, keep going, bud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't want you here, pal. Trust me, we want everybody else. So today, I know you're there, but we're going to cover a specific cocktail, which is, we're doing the classic Trinidad Sour, right? Contemporary classic, because it is a cocktail that came around in the early 2000s to mid-2000s. Right. So classic in that sense, but yes. Yeah. It's a great way to get into bitters though, man. I made one recently and I think a lot of people are intimidated by it. Just the sheer amount of bitters that are in there, but it's, I mean, I love bitter cocktails. So for me, this is totally up my alley and should 1000% be made more. So I'm excited for everybody who listens to the podcast to really learn how to make it so they can make it and enjoy it at home. Yeah, I mean, if you want somebody to tell you how to make a drink with bitters, it's going to be these guys. I mean, holy smokes, the the selection of bitters that they have is intense, and it's awesome. 
Like it's delicious. So 22 total Jesus. bitters. Oh my God, Jules. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Before we get into the cocktail, you guys have to each tell me which one, which flavor of bitters is your favorite? All right, favorite flavor. I have to go cardamom. We use a kind of, instead of using that green pod, we go for more of a decorticated seed and it's just so aromatic, <sighs> so herbaceous. I will use it in rye whiskeys, which seems like the obvious, but also kind of <laughs> elusive answer for that one. But uh, that's definitely my go-to. However, our classic Crail has kind of pushed Peychaud's off of my shelf a little no bit. Way. And I, I do love Peychaud's. I, I love the whole lineage of those Cajun cocktails, those classic Crails. But ours brings in a, a bit of that absinthe flavor using star anise. And it's kind of emulates that spritzing of a glass that you would get in like a De La Luzienne. Yum. Favorite for me is going to have to go between the Mission Fig Fennel, which is amazing for old fashions and especially for fall winter cocktails. Uh, really cool in a Collins as well. And it's more refreshing than you would actually think it is. But I have a secret place in my heart for bay leaf because of cooking and cocktails, because one eyedropper of our bay leaf is about the equivalent of two bay leaves. Whoa. So if you put that into a one gallon stock, you don't ever have to fish out bay leaves. You can just Whoa. get the flavor in there. So it's kind of between those two. Yeah, this place is for real. Like, All right. For real. All right. I'm going online right now to book my flight, okay? Oh, book your <laughs> yeah. flight and then buy some bitters too. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm bringing an empty suitcase. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jules, I tell you what, why don't we get on to the cocktail, but then also just so people know what to expect, we'll talk a bit about the history of the bitters. We'll probably talk about the distillery a little bit. And then I think a good tip for today's show might be how to choose your bitters. Yeah. If you guys feel mm. comfortable with that or... Okay, good, because I just, that was can, a hot can pass. You say, how to choose your bitters, asterisk question mark? <laughs> I can say. One other ingredient that we use in line with bitters that a lot of people at home don't think about, and it's actually our go to before we use bitters. Okay, and we're going to talk about that later. I love this. This is so great. I'm so glad we did this. All right, let's move on to the next section, Jules. All right, let's make a cocktail. All right. So we are going to do the Trinidad Sour here, and an actual bartender is going to make the drink. Hey, you know what, Brad? Do not say that about yourself. You are also a real bartender. Well, I'm serious. I'm like, oh my God, this is guy's like seriously influenced the way I make drinks. <laughs> <laughs> are you fangirling no, right now, like, well, Brad? I know what, I guess yeah, you're kind of my idol. <laughs> so we'll get into the Trinidad Sour. It's a new classic, I guess you could say. What was yeah. it, 2007-ish, uh, 7-ish, somewhere in there, New York City. I think it was invented at the Clover Club. It sure was. Yeah, Giuseppe. Yep. Giuseppe Gonzalez. Giuseppe Gonzalez. So there you Giuseppe go. Giuseppe is a really interesting character in our grand world of mixologists and bartenders because he's a very opinionated person and that kind of rubs some people the wrong way, but he's always on the side of good. So he fights for those that are marginalized. He fights for those that don't have a voice and he'll scream and he'll yell to make sure that they're seen. And I truly appreciate what he does. And this cocktail is kind of a representation of that same thing because he wanted to show bitters to another people that it was beyond just drips and drabs. Yeah, that's awesome. So Jeff is going to walk us through how to make a Trinidad Sour. He's going to tell us the measurements. And he is, you know, if you watch the video here, you can see how he's doing it. So I'm kind of excited. Jules, new format. Here we go. So we're starting with our wonderful, well, what we call our Dango or our Dash Fire Angostura of sorts. 
So we're starting mm-hmm. with an ounce and a half of that, which most people aren't ready for an ounce and a half of Angostura bitters, and it's amazing. And is that just because of its alcohol content? People think it's too high? The alcohol content is one thing because most people don't know the proof that it actually is and the fact of how powerful it can be from that strength. But I think it's just the bittering elements. I think there's a lot of people that are just very, very indifferent to bitter. Um, The human being as a whole, bitter tells us poison. So your body is saying, get that away from me. But if we harness it in the right way, that poison feeling, if you will, allows also the concept of an aperitif or a digestif. That's how they all work. So it's all in control. Harnessing the power of bitters. I like that. I think I've harnessed it. And I don't know if I should be concerned. (laughs) (laughs) No, you should live strong. (laughs) We're going to go with orgeat next. So this is going to be one ounce of orgeat. We did one and a half of the dangostura at the beginning. We're doing one ounce. This is a macadamia nut and almond orgeat. Yeah, it smells amazing. Wow. God, Brad, the the amount of jealousy. Yeah, hey, thanks, thanks. Smells delicious. (laughs) Smells delicious. (laughs) Okay, and then we're going to go to our fresh citrus. Mm -hmm. So this being kind of a sour cocktail, we're doing three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice. And when you use lemon juice or lime juice, when we are thinking fresh squeezed, most people think you get one of these little jobbers here at home and you juice it right now and then I make a cocktail. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, but you are going to get different results on a regular basis because a lemon and a lime have acids and sugars and the way that they hang from the tree, you're actually going to get those in different proportions throughout. So if you make one cocktail with this half of a lemon and then another cocktail with the other half of the lemon, Mm -hmm. they could be two different cocktails. So generally what we like to do is juice our juice beforehand and about a half an hour to 45 minutes after you juice it, the acid level drops dramatically and makes it more palatable. So my grandma used to tell me an old adage that was, if you want great lemonade at lunch, you make it at breakfast. So that it allows the time to oxygenate, calm down, and then it is very palatable. Most people say they want fresh, but when it comes to citrus, it's super acidic when you first juice it. Right. Oh Brad. my God. Yeah, yeah. you <laughs> guys, can, can you just take a second while Brad picks up his jaw off the floor? <laughs> <laughs> it's in the cooler right now. We're keeping it cold. <laughs> Everything's yeah. great. Yeah. I'm good. Oh, wow. So we have our bitters. We have our orgeat, our sweet. We have our lemon. And then we do a little special move here, which is we add a little rye whiskey. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm into rye. For a while, I was not about it, but man. Rye is wonderful. Yeah. It's what I, I like to call the dirty road whiskey or what I call the John Wayne effect, where there's generally a little bit of smoke. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit of saline from the salt and the sweat. Uh There's always a little bit of dirt. And then there's always just a percentage of shame. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. That sounds like my weekend. I feel personally attacked by that whole thing. (laughs) Oh, sorry. That one hit too close to home. Now we're going to get ice. We're going to ice this up. We're going to shake this. When you shake a cocktail, especially any of these sour cocktails, you want to shake it. We need to aerate, get cold, and dilute. So we definitely need to, and I don't want to blow the mic out. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll set it over here. Oh yeah, that's an intense shake. This is how I wish people shook when I taught them how to shake drinks and or teach them how to shake drinks. (laughs) Yeah, and I like the two hand, you know, like shake it like you mean it. Now for us, not everybody can do this at home, but we use one of these little tea strainers here to strain double time just to get those extra ice crystals out of there. 
Wow. The Trinidad Sour, ladies and gentlemen. You could, you could uh, garnish that with a thin lemon wheel if you wanted to. Traditionally, there's just nothing there when it comes to Giuseppe. Wow. He's going in. Wow. That's like Christmas happening. My God, hold on here. <laughs> you always have to do a double take. Sweet. Bitter, obviously. This cocktail is magic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful cocktail. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to go in here knowing it's going to be bitter. Yeah. But it's not a bitter, like, run away because it's poison bitter. It's it's just, I don't know, like, how to describe that? It's like, got clove in there? Like, yeah. Brad, have you had a Trinidad Sour before? Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay, okay, okay. okay. This one's really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, when you have a small amount of ingredients, every ingredient totally matters. Like, you have to make sure you're using the best and that syrup is what caught my eye because it was what, a macadamia and, and almond? Yes. yes. Oh, God, with those bitters, probably just. Here's, yeah, the, I'm here's the fun fact of the procedure is the citrus fruit has different amounts of sugar on, depending on which side of the fruit. I mean, totally makes sense makes to sense. me, but I never knew that. I've never heard anybody even hint to that before. That's amazing. How long have you known that? And where did you learn that Ooh. fact? Not as long as you think I have. And just asking people, just talking. I am a huge believer. I always go back and I never really knew how to state it, but Ted Lasso nailed it, which is be curious, not judgmental from Walt Whitman, right? He says that phrase and that's the whole thing is every time you meet an expert in our industry, they have 12 experts that they go to. So if you think of that theory, there's really no experts. It's just other people leaning from other people that are willing to share from the top down. Honestly, I think that's what I love the most about us doing this podcast, Jules. It's just all of the knowledge you're gleaning off of everybody else. And I totally love that. Be curious, but not judgmental. It's a real thing. Because when I, when I first kind of came into the teaching side, I think the majority of us as well, you know, you try to show people that you know stuff. You try to justify that you are that expert, quote unquote. And as I was getting that, I was getting frustrated because classes don't go equally from zero to 60 minutes. A lot of things right. happen in that 60 minutes. Jules, you've done a lot of classes there where people have questions. If you have all this stuff written out and you need to get it done, you don't leave, leave any leeway, if you will, between them. So right. once I learned that and moved forward to talking to more experts and saying, you know, you go to John Smith and say, hey, X person told me you're an expert. And they're like, me? What about Tammy so-and-so? And what about Jane so-and-so? And I'm like, who are they? I've never even heard of them. So then I find them and they're like, oh, you, me? I'm not an expert. What about these five people? And it's just amazing what it truly is. Well, I mean, that was the best advice I ever got when I wanted to be a bartender and then COVID happened. We all know the story. But the best advice I got was from a bartender was buy yourself books, go to bars and ask the bartender questions. It's the best way to learn. Yeah, and I'd feel like by and large, most bartenders enjoy answering, I mean, as long as they're not like slammed, right? You're not like pulling them away from like 15 customers. But, you know, if you sit and just shoot the breeze for a bit, I mean, people who are in this industry, you should love talking about this industry and should love talking about alcohol because you're around it and you're serving it. And at the end of the day, you're in the business of service and that customer can be curious. And as a, somebody who cares about service, you're sharing your love, right? You're sharing your craft. So... Why not share your knowledge? Yeah. And there's also kind of the fact too that the more people you talk to, the more times you'll see like-minded threads throughout everything because everybody's got an opinion, whether it's chefs or, or bartenders, and they might have a little bit of an ego. We don't know about this for sure yet. It hasn't right. been proven. Right. I'll let you know later. 
<laughs> yeah, okay. uh, but when you ask all of these people, everybody's going to have their opinion or their soapbox on why they do things. But you're going to start to notice that everybody has the laws or the basic principles will all be the same. So you'll start to see why people take what they take and branch a certain direction. And then you'll understand where they're coming from and that it's not that they're a jerk or that they're trying to do something different. They found something just like music. You can take bluegrass and turn it into something else. You know, yeah. Same kind of concept. I love it. Well, Jules, we got a lot of content to cover. So I know normally we would have you do a riff on this, but we're not doing that today, right? You know what? And this one doesn't need to be touched. It needs yeah. to just be made correctly. And I just want people to make this because I did. I made it recently. Now, not with the ingredients you had, but with the, I feel like what a lot of people will have, but I am so interested to try it with those Dash Fire bitters and that syrup. So I have my own homework to do to make it like you guys did. So I get a little taste of Minnesota here in San Diego. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, let's move on to the next subject. Yeah. Here we go. All right. Not that long ago, we talked about bitters, but we talked about like the history of Angostura. We didn't really get into the history of bitters. And you touched on this a little bit when you said, our body responds to bitters by saying, ooh, that's poison, get away. But you got to harness the power of that. Yep. Somewhere along the lines, someone figured out that, hey, you know what? If I use some of these bitter elements, I feel better or I fix something that's wrong with me. I would say it's more about the discovery of realizing that alcohol is the greatest solvent in the world. So a medicine person that's like, hey, you come, you have an upset stomach. I put down a bed sheet and I throw down, here's some cassia bark, here's some quinine, here's some of this, right? And I'm like, hey, make a salad. And then you're sitting there with an old carved wooden bowl and you're eating these barks and roots going like, this is terrible. These hurt my teeth. This is ridiculous. And then they found out that alcohol, whatever you soak into it, it'll absorb all the nutrients from whatever you put into it so that was the true connection right there, was that no longer did you have to eat the medicine, you could now drink it. And now I could combine multiple herbs, spices, barks, roots, and all of that into one little teaspoon, which is how Angostura started. Angostura was started 100% as a medicine for the military. Uh, so with that, I can give you a teaspoon in the middle of the battlefield and I know you're gonna be okay. Versus laying down a sheet of barks, herbs, spices, and roots. All bitters, it's not that high proof stuff, which I guess a lot of people are surprised to know that Angostura and maybe even some of your bitters too, like the mm -hmm. alcohol proof on it's very high, yes. right? But that's not the case for like Amaro's, right? Give me a little breakdown of like the bitters and how Amaro's work into the picture. So Amari versus aromatic or cocktail bitters is kind of the conversation between potable versus non-potable is really, and it's strange in our world because there's a potable, non-potable distinction for grocery stores versus liquor stores too, and that's separate from what we're talking about. So what we're talking about here is, technically, are you going to grab that bottle of Amaro and could you just drink it on the rocks? That's technically what they call potable. Non-potable would be you're using it in drips and drabs in your cocktail and they, they wouldn't even think of somebody just taking a pull out of that bitters. We know differently. <laughs> we drink bitters on their own all the time. It's fantastic. It's amazing. But that's kind of the big differentiation between what happened to us. Amari really became popular in Italy because each little family or each little region had their own little bitter that would be an aperitif or a digestif that wasn't considered medicine per se. Because bitters didn't become part of the cocktail until your Jerry Thomas, your 1860s, 1850s, where they started 
implementing it into cocktails, but it was still medicine. Amari was always a cocktail. It was always a drinking thing. Yes, it had medicinal aspects, medicinal aspects, but it was meant for pre or post dinner per family. It's not just Italy, right? Like it's. No, no, no. All right, give me give me a run on where the bitters are around the world, what we would recognize. The one that would every one of your listeners will know and will hate that they find out it's bitters because it's a Crowder bitter is Jägermeister. Jägermeister is a German bitters, and that's what it has been. It's what it has been forever but they turned it into a shot brand. And then now people get that weird face when they think about it. I kind of like delicious. it. I love it too. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I do. I do like Jägermeister, but aren't they trying to rebrand themselves? No, they're trying to go back to the drips and drabs a little bit over the past four or five years, six years or what. You see them kind of coming back into the cocktail world and they want to be used or be considered part yeah. of the bitters world, not just a shot brand. That makes sense. Campari is probably one that most people know that's under that red Italian, most known for the Negroni, things like that. You have its younger cousin or younger brother, the Aperol, which would be the lighter version. You have Averna is a great dessert one that most people know. That's really, really delicious. Brad, this is my category. 100% this is your category. Yeah, no, you're saying all these things. I'm like, but oh, Zucca in love. is one. It's a rhubarbo that most people know that's really, really delicious, made with rhubarb root. That's really good. Even Italicus would fall under that, wouldn't it? Italicus is a weird one because it could technically fall underneath the liqueur and a bitters at the same time. It's kind of a strange one. And I don't know if they want to be into one or the other. I'm not really sure. But the bergamot aspect comes off so sweet. And then there's this bittering agent on that back end that is just delicious with that. So I've definitely put it in the Amari category before. Yeah. <clears throat> so you said it could be a liqueur or a bitters. Like, Explain, explain why that could be mistaken. Like what makes a liqueur a liqueur? What makes a liqueur is simply percentage of sugar. That's really all it is by law in the US and in the UK or the EU is volume of sugar per liter. That can change a little bit because we know that there's liqueurs that are overproof. We know liqueurs that are underproof, but they're all between about three and a half to 6% sugars per, by yeah. volume yeah. minimum. And you guys make a rhubarb bitter here, right? Yeah, I had that. It was unbelievable, by the way. That was really good. And Jules, like that is so straight up your alley. Brad, you're living the sweet life over there. The, the bitter life. Is yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, the bitter yeah. life. How did Dash Fire then, like how did, why bitters? Like what, what prompted bitters to be the thing here at Dash Fire? I think to get the most accurate answer to that question, you'd have to ask Lee Egbert. He's the owner and CEO. You know, when he started doing this, he wanted to create a spice cabinet of bitters. And I think the bartenders around the city responded really well because they said, finally, somebody's doing it right, so I don't have to. That's kind of the response that we received a lot of. For example, the Dango that I use, that we use here, that we just did in this Trinidad Sour, is very clove forward. And you picked it up right away. You're like, it's Christmas in my mouth, that clove, that numbing. And I think that adventure into botanicals was really inspired to all of us by several books and stuff like that. But The Drunken Botanist, obviously, is a must read for anyone that wants to kind of read and learn about the botanicals that make the world of spirits, especially bitters. Lee Egbert, who is the founder. Yes. His background was bartending as well? No. No. Project managing. And things, but he's just kind of a creative person. So he made the first bottle of bitters, which was the vintage orange bitters, 
that we have, which is bourbon-based and slightly barrel-aged. He brought those to a bar called Saffron at the time here in Minneapolis, which was run by a gentleman named Rob Jones at the time. And he showed them to him. And then Rob Jones got done talking to him and said, you need to walk right over and talk to Jeff at Parlor. So Lee came right over. So Rob and myself were the first two people that he talked to about the bitters. Within three weeks, he was making them, something like that. And it just everybody loved it. Everybody, exactly what Spencer said is just like, we were all trying things in our own bars, but bitters is a hard thing to do. And when you're trying to manage a whole bar and then try to manage your bitters on top of that, it can be very difficult. So Lee was serendipitous showing up at that time. When did the bitters scene start to kind of explode or expand? It was exactly kind of the same thing as the cocktail movement as a whole. So like when you go to the late 1800s to up to 1920 of Prohibition, there were so many bitters companies out there. That's what the snake oil salesman was. That's when they were coming around to towns, coming to Lawyer Ingalls, seeing it, you know, at the edge of the hill. He's here, he's here, you know. That's the snake oil salesman coming. That was bitters. So that, that was a big then. And then Prohibition hit. The only thing that really lasted was Peshout and Angostura at that point in time. On the other side of Prohibition, they came out as grocery store items, not just liquor store items. So they were able to survive for that long period of time. And then you had the resurgence of the bitters at the same time that the, the re-emerging of the cocktail culture. So I would arguably say late 90s to early 2000s is kind of when the first whispers were kind of happening. Dale DeGroff is given credit at the Rainbow Room in New York for kind of bringing cocktails back. And he was using that stuff there, but it didn't really catch until your 2002, 2003. So you said Dale DeGroff bringing cocktails back. I'm sorry, my, my ADD just kicked in. <laughs> I always thought it was Dick Bradsell who kind of started well, he was. it. He was Dick Bradsell on the Europe side, for sure. Cause then you have espresso martini, you have the bramble, like all of these things. But Dale DeGroff was more on the US side. Hence why he's dubbed the king of the cocktail. All right, so we got a little background on the bitters. We got a little history on the bitters. If I'm at Dashfire and I've got to walk out of here with the top three, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't even be limiting this to three, but like, you know, say somebody walks in there like, I got to buy three to five. Like, what are the top go-tos here that somebody needs to walk out of here with? Sure. Well, I think everyone makes their own old fashions. We have an old-fashioned aromatic bitter that we literally designed around the old-fashioned. And it's nothing too crazy, it's nothing too adventurous, but it's old faithful. It, you put it in, it's going to work every time. I think that for a starting point to somebody who wants to kind of explore more things, I think that's definitely one of the top five. Also, our vintage orange, like Jeff brought up earlier, our, kind of was our flagship bitter for a long time. But... Any of our aromatics, obviously, are going to be on there. But I think choosing a couple of the citruses and the individual botanical bitters are going to be kind of the way to go. Like Jeff brought up the bay leaf, bringing in that savoriness, but also expanding bitters out of just your cocktails, but into cooking. Some of those single botanical cocktails, or bitters, excuse me, are going to work across the board more simply and more in a scalable way than the like aromatic blends. I like that. That was well done. I was going to go the route of the, the tinctures as well, which is a huge chunk of our bitters are technically tinctures, but we don't really talk about them that way just because when you get to liquor stores and liquor store owners and some people from the, from the suburbs and whatnot, you don't want to get into that conversation. They just want to know that it's a bottle of bitters. But anything that we have that is our single flavors, 
I love getting a combination of those because you can blend them together in any way you want. So you can blend cinnamon and allspice and star anise, but you can just have star anise on its own. And it's the same way that we build syrups. So if we're doing a multi-flavor syrup, I never do it in one batch. It's always the individual components and then we put it together because then that way I have some of the individual components still left to make a gimlet on its side or whatever it may be like that. So that's what I really, I really like the botanical aspect of that. Oh my wow. God. Wow, that syrup, what, I mean, you guys are blowing me away. I feel like my life has changed. The syrup, the citrus, now using, I mean. We were doing the highball. I think that episode comes out maybe this week, but we were, yeah. you know, we were recording it and I was playing around with the highball. I actually used a little bit of the lemon bitters in my Japanese highball and that mm. was fantastic. And I've, you know, I've made a gin old fashioned. I would, you know, so these guys, you know, gave me a bunch of bitters uh, earlier this summer and I made a mezcal old fashioned with the mole bitters. I used, gosh, what did I do? I think I put some cardamom bitters in this like spirit called Tricol. I don't know if you guys mm. seen that yet. Really interesting spirit out of Patagonia. It's super weird. But that was awesome. You can make an old fashioned literally with any spirit, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then you just start marrying up your bitters, which I think is a good lead into the next section, which is the final section, which we're gonna talk about tips. And I wanna talk about how to choose your bitters. Well, before we get into that, just one more question since we're still on the whole dash fire. If you're like me, unfortunately, and you live in San Diego, can I order these online and get them delivered? How can I get your guys' bitters? So we are in California. If you okay. go onto our website, we actually have a product search feature and we'll tell you where near you we have our products. We are also available, depending on your state's um, kind of restrictions, we're on Amazon and a couple other things that distribute online, but it kind of depends on where you're at. Sweet. All right. That's all I need to hear. I'm, uh, I got my- Dashfire.us. Oh yeah, that's a good distinction to make. Dashfire.us, not the .com, dashfire.us. And listen, Jules, for, for the record, for everybody who's listening, this is totally unpaid, right? Like I, it is just super cool. And I will tell you that I wouldn't be this emphatic about the bitters if I didn't truly love like everything that I have had so far. Like when I did the, the tour back here, they like showed me opened up the thing and they were doing the, the orange bitters and there's all these beautiful orange peels like staring back at you in this like, bath and you can smell it and it's like smells amazing like seriously you can tell there's love in this product so that's awesome yeah oh no. i can't wait to try it you guys i'm yeah i want to get it sooner rather than later i gotta go on amazon maybe get that yeah no this is like seriously don't walk run type of thing <laughs> yeah. all right let's get into uh tips and close out with uh how to choose your bitters sweet Now, really, Brad, you should tip your bartenders today because we didn't do any of the hard work here. But I'm excited that we are going to have some tips for all the home bartenders today. And this time, it is not on me to come up with the tip. I am off the hook today. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God, right? Like, you get a, you get a break. <laughs> I know. Obviously, it makes sense to talk to somebody who makes bitters about like, well, how do you choose bitters? But I will tell you that I have felt the personal pain, right, of going to a liquor store and then all of a sudden there's all these bitters options. And you're like, oh, I'll take the chocolate bitters, I'll take the celery bitters. And then you're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I think a lot of home bartenders more often than not feel the same way. I, f I don't know what it is. Even for me, sometimes they're intimidating. Yeah. 100%. I think it's because they're they're the flavor is so strong that a little goes a long way, and you don't want to mess it up. And I feel like that prevents people from even trying. 
Well, then you put like one dash in or three dashes or just like five, right. six, seven. Like, how do you how do you know how much to put in? So I think this is probably a really useful section here. So without further delay, let me pass the microphone over to somebody who's <laughs> going to tell us how to choose our bidders. Spence, sure. is that you? All right. Well, I, think we'll, I think we both got some tips for sure. Yeah. Back to our website, dashfire.us, there's actually going to be listed with each of our bidders what cocktails that they work well in. Now, obviously, that's not an exhaustive list. It's just a couple per flavor. They're also on the outside of the bottle. So when you take that home and go, huh, what should I use this in? Here's some great examples. Another tip, start small and work up. You can always add more. And if you're using an expensive spirit that you're adding it to, it's really sad when you can't take any out. (laughs) You, I have trauma from what you just said. <laughs> yeah. uh, the amount of cocktail events that we've done where you start batching something and somebody screws up the bitters and then next thing you know, you go from three gallons to 48 gallons just to balance it all out. And then you only sell three gallons because that's what you were supposed to make. That's a, that's a very good point. So I mentioned this earlier that there was a thing that we try before we get into bitters. And I always like to kind of think of this before we jump into what flavors we want which is salt solution. Mm -hmm. So three parts water to one part kosher salt. Whenever we are looking at a cocktail, we always add a couple drops of salt first to see what flavors really rise out of that salt. And then we'll do the bitters to accent on top of that. Because if it's muted and then you add the bitters and the bitters kind of acts like the salt a little bit and some other things get heightened, it can really throw that off. So I always like to start with just a few drops of salt solution, see where it's at, and then react the bitters after that. General rule of thumb, any flavors of your cocktail that are accent flavors that are kind of behind the scenes, those are the ones that I go to for bitters to heighten those accents to lift up the main flavor. So it's almost like building your background actors, if you will. So if I'm like, hey, I made this and there's ginger in there, but I don't taste ginger, then I kind of want the bitters to kind of accent that ginger a little bit, even though I still want to stay balanced across the whole cocktail. This is like next level. Yeah, totally. Like, seriously, the cocktails here are as good as that just sounded. Which, you know, it's something I've been talking about a lot lately where... Brad, you and I will teach everybody how to make cocktails at home, but you know what? We are also going to show people where to go when you want that first class. Like there's just something that you guys do that just takes it to the next level that a lot of times people can't or don't want to do at home. So it's so cool to go to a place that is taking it to the next level. Yeah, you guys all got me excited for my next trip out to Minnesota. I'm telling you. Brad, you're enough. Don't worry. But I'm just saying this just is just like the cherry on top. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, I think we got enough to go on here for a pretty good episode. So let's uh, wrap it up. And guys, thanks a lot for letting me come on out. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you You know guys. you're going to see more of me. So <laughs> Jules will be out here too. Yes, I will. All right, Jules. That's Awesome. Thank you, guys. Uncle Brad. Cheers, Jules. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Don't worry. We will have the photos and recipes for today's cocktails on the website, joinjules.com. And if you got questions or comments for us, hit us up on the Insta at 
The Art of Drinking podcast. And of course, find Jules at Join Jules or at Favorite Uncle Brad. That's me, also on the Insta. And hey, subscribe to my cocktail club on Facebook. All you'll need to do is search Join Jules Cocktail Club, and there you'll see what other cocktail enthusiasts are shaking up. This is a Red Rock Music Podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, like, and review The Art of Drinking with Join Jules and your favorite uncle wherever you get your podcasts.